The purpose of Wealth Talk is to educate, inform, and hopefully entertain you on the subject of building your wealth. Wealth Builders recommends you should always take independent financial, tax, or legal advice before making any decisions around your finances. Welcome to episode 57 of Wealth Talk. My name is Christian Rodwell, the Membership Director for Wealth Builders, and I'm joined today by our founder, Mr. Kevin Whelan. Hi, Kevin. Hello, Chris. In glorious self-isolation yet again. So all Still good here. fun. Well, it's, it's a theme, isn't it? Because we're protecting ourselves at the moment, and today's episode is all about the protection of rights. Protecting, and, and of course, this is an important area, particularly as those of us are serious, Chris, about creating value. Wealth always flows to value, we know that, and one of the ways to create value is to create intellectual property. Indeed. Yeah. So we have a guest today, and that guest is Jonathan Clegg. He's a trademark attorney, so he's a man who certainly knows um, the importance of registering uh, one's IP. And IP really is, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's an umbrella, isn't it, for many different forms of uh of, of knowledge, I guess, that are packaged up and of value to uh, to an individual or a business. Yeah, and, and I think there's there's two aspects to this. First of all, just in terms of context, Jonathan is a generous, spirited man, gives of his time freely, and I have to thank him personally, actually, because he gave uh, my son, who's doing a postgraduate law degree, some time, uh, some personal time, in terms of helping him just understand a little more about that aspect of the law. And uh, you can appreciate he's, uh, when you listen to him, he's extraordinarily knowledgeable in areas not just affecting SMEs, but large companies too. So so let me acknowledge his generosity. The second thing to say is, you know, we're, we think about value and we think about value as the end user. You know, we're always trying to strive to create more value for a, for a customer. Um, but of course, we must protect our own value. And one of the things that he speaks very eloquently about, Chris, is the four different ways that IP is kind of constructed in law. And I'll leave him to explain more about that. But in all areas, you know, there's a very, very strong reason that we should protect what we've got. And sometimes because we don't know this aspect of the law very much, it uh, can be easily overlooked. So I think if we have a listen to what he has to say and about those four key areas, then We'll take a few minutes just to debrief that, Chris, and pass on the lessons, not just for IP, but the wealth lessons as well. That sounds good. And just before we do head over to our interview today with Jonathan, I'd like to give a shout out to our latest couple of reviews on iTunes. And um, thank you to uh, M. Venton. Um, after selling our business, we were looking for a podcast that taught us how to establish long-term wealth. And this was like finding gold. Oh, that's Michelle. Uh, so... Yeah, I had a nice chat with Michelle and her husband, Dan. Uh, absolutely lovely people, and they've fully embraced some of our messages, and uh, we've engaged with them now. Uh, and so delighted that they're part of our community. Indeed. And uh, Dr. MRX has said, I have listened on and off to this podcast for over a year now, and I'm grateful for the wealth, depth, and range of useful and sensible information shared on this platform. For example, the podcast has spiked my interest in looking for other pillars of wealth building rather than depending on one pillar alone. So thank you very much, Dr. MRX, for that review. And a critical lesson, of course, isn't it? Because, you know, what one of the big lessons that these uh, troubled times have shown us, Chris, is the importance of having a diversification in terms of our wealth building assets. 
Um, and as we're talking now about protecting those assets, let's have a listen to Jonathan. Jonathan, welcome to Wealth Talk. Thanks very much, Chris. Thanks for inviting me. No, you're very welcome. And it's probably a good place just to start by introducing yourself and, and what you do. Yeah, well, I'm a, I, I'm an IP practitioner. I specialize in, in trademarks, which means that I help businesses to protect, well, to clear for registration and then to register their trademarks and brands um, all around the world and then uh, to enforce those brands and to keep clear water around the rights that we've helped them to get. And I act, I've act. i been in the business for 30-odd years, and I act for a wide variety of types of business across different sectors, from very large companies to a lot of SMEs and startups and small businesses too. So as a firm, my firm is, is active in the IP sector, predominantly in patents and trademarks, which are the two top types of IP although we advise on all sorts of other IP-related things too. But my particular speciality is trademarks. Okay, fantastic. So, you know, we're talking about the intellectual property <clears throat> pillar at the moment, which essentially is taking some knowledge, some some way of doing something, and then packaging that up um, to be of value to other people. So, you know, some of the things that we've discussed under the IP pillar are writing a book or creating a course or or, or a system that, as you say, you might be able to license to other people. What are the common types of IP outside of those that you deal with most, Jonathan? Yeah, well, intellectual property, as you, as you and many listeners, I think, will realize is an umbrella term. It's an umbrella term for a variety of different rights which are available to businesses, some of which require you to go and register those rights, apply for them, and they have to be examined. And then if they're granted, you get your, your rights. Some of them just exist and you simply have to prove that you own them in order to assert rights. But the main types are, first of all, patents. And a patent is something that protects an invention. So it could be a, pro, a business process. It could be a mechanical object it could be a medical device or a pharmaceutical or vaccine um, and it, uh, it, it, in essentially that is protected by registration and if you get your patent registered you have exclusivity in that invention for 20 years subject to renewals so that can be hugely valuable if you have an important patent i suspect that actually most of the people listening to this may may be in a position where it's the second type of ip that's potentially more important, which is trademark registration. A trademark, and this, this is maybe the definition of a trademark may not be um, apparent to everyone, but a, a trademark is actually a very broad concept. It's essentially um, a commercial badge of origin, which links particular products or services with the business that's behind those products and services. In other words, you see the brand and you think of the business behind it. You know that the brand is associated with that business. And brand is a very broad word, which sort of the idea of a brand is it is it creates expectations in, in consumers of high standard and uh, good quality products or a good delivery of a service. Um, and that can then create reputation and then goodwill. And those things are tied in, obviously, with the value of a company. So trademarks, as they're used and as a business builds goodwill under those trademarks, can become extremely valuable assets. You do have to apply to register a trademark. It's not a rubber stamping process like registering a domain name or a company name. There's an examination that goes with it. And the reason for that is that when you get that registration granted, you can essentially uh, enjoy a monopoly in that trademark, which is lasts as long as you pay renewals, which are every, which is every 10 years, but you, there's no limit of term on a trademark. So once you've got it, 
and assuming it's a, co a, a common thread in your business that is consistently used, it can become an extremely valuable ride. And the other thing is that it's almost every business would benefit from at least one trademark registration protecting its core name or its um, primary brand or whatever. Um, by way of example, a trademark could be a word, it could be a logo, um, it could have aspects of color that are protectable. A trademark can be the shape of a product, so some perfume bottles and distinctive drinks bottles have been actually registered as three-dimensional trademarks. Um, trade dress, so the way that a, a store or a, 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 you know, a business is actually set up visually can be protected. Even sounds. Think of uh, there's some quite annoying little ditties out there when you watch ad, ad advertisements on TV. Some of those have actually been registered as trademarks because, again, it's a badge of origin. You hear that piece of music, you think of direct line or whatever. You think of whoever it is that is behind that. So those two, I would say, are the most important types of IP in, in most cases. But there's also a type of IP called a registered design. And that is also gives you a monopoly. So it's a strong right. A registered design exists in relation to the shape or appearance of a product. So it's kind of aesthetic aspects of, so if you have a distinctive sofa, for example, or a table or, you know, that that particular manifestation, it's not that the, that the sofa is new, it's that your design of that sofa is new. And that would be outside trademark registration, but it would be protectable by registered design. And designs also uh, protect things like pattern and, and ornamentation when that's applied to a product. So you apply for those registered designs. In that case, the term is 25 years and is renewable every five years. So that's a bit like patents. It, it has a finite life. A trademark can be registered uh, forever once you have it. And then the fourth and final one I would mention is the main type of IP is copyright. Now, copyright is not a, what we call a monopoly right. So it's, it's not a type of IP that you have to apply for. If you are the author, in quotes, of a of original material or work, is it's the word used in the legislation, you're the author of, of a particular work, then you automatically own copyright in what you've created. Um, and that allows you to stop unauthorized duplication by third parties. Um, it applies to all sorts of things. It applies to books, to other printed matter. So for example, literature about companies in their, in their marketing collateral, for example, would be subject to copyright works of art, of course, music, um, computer software, if there's copyright in the code, believe it or not. I mean, you actually have copyright in a you know, phone directory if you actually format the numbers in a certain way, you'd have copyright in that. Um, so, I mean, and they're the main four types. I would just draw the distinction between what we would refer to as monopoly rights, which is where you apply for a piece of property to be granted, you know, a registration around that piece of IP. That applies to patents, trademarks, and registered designs. And then other types of IP, which are sometimes referred to as property rights, are like copyright, where it just exists. But the big difference is when you come to assert your rights against a third party, if you're trying to go after someone for copyright, you have to prove that they actually copied you. If it's coincidentally similar, that's not enough. Whereas for trademarks, designs, and patents, the court doesn't care whether it's coincidental, accidental, or deliberate you infringe so it's a much more powerful right yeah that's interesting yeah. anyone who hasn't been through the process before jonathan can you just give us an idea of the you know the, the costs involved the length of time involved is it complicated 
Yeah, so I mean, talk. Let, let's talk about trademarks first, because I think that would be the most um, relevant one. So, a trademark is you register a trademark by going to the UK Intellectual Property Office, the UK IPO, and you file an application there in which you you declare what your trademark is. Um, I.e., you put a representation of it in the application form. You set out the products and services that your business wants protection for. Um, because there's, you obviously, at the end of the day, you don't get rights to use a trademark on any goods and services. You get rights on the goods and services you've actually specified as being part of your business or relevant to your business. So you specify those goods and services, and then the UK IPO examines that application on various criteria. It examines it, for example, on is it distinctive enough to be registered? And distinctive is a key word. I can illustrate that by giving you an example. If you If you take the word jigsaw, uh, jigsaw is a very effective trademark for clothing products because there's no conceptual link between the word jigsaw and clothing. Whereas if you applied to register jigsaw for power tools or for puzzles, uh, that would just simply be a description of what the goods are. And then basically you can't register the words chocolate biscuits if you sell chocolate biscuits because it's generic. So the whole thing about having a distinctive trademark, which is another way of saying a strong trademark, is really key. And that's where advice can help, actually, because at the beginning of the process, uh, it's un understandably a lot of um, people who don't have exposure to this kind of uh, area would assume that the more you describe what you're doing in your brand, the better brand it is. It is almost true that it's the other way around. It isn't quite true because, of course, a lot of businesses come up with words that actually infer a connection with what their products and services are, but they don't directly describe them. If they directly describe them, the UK IPO will refuse the application. If they just allude to them or are sort of have some connotation that's relevant to the goods and services, you'll get your registration. But arguably, you know, you won't have the strongest trademark. I mean, the best sorts of marks are, are either ones like Jigsaw on clothing where there's no link or else invented words like Pepsi or Kodak or, you know, where... Um, you know that that there's a lot of potential then for growing that and, and making that into a trademark where where you effectively have rights on anything once you've got enough reputation. Mm. So yeah, and and in terms of time frame, the UK IPO would normally take it would normally be a start to finish process of about uh, three or four months, which includes a two month period where third parties have an opportunity to object to your application, um, which they might want to do because they have another type of prior right that they think you're in conflict with. And so there's an opposition process. The vast majority of applications are not objected to. And, um, uh, you know, actually, if you do the due diligence before you file a trademark application, which we'll come on to later, then you, you're minimizing the risk of getting a problem. So in the absence of problems, it's going to be three or four months from start to finish. In terms of costs, I mean, you know, to you have to, that that's linked to how many, goods and services you want to cover. They're, they're divided into lots of classes. That's another reason why a little bit of, a, of advice can help you because you can get I mean, someone to, to, to tell you. I mean, for, if, for example, you, you, know, you have a, a retail platform that sells clothing products, an online you know, web business that sells clothing products, where you would want to cover the sale of of clothing, which would be in one class, but you'd also want to cover retail services as as a as a service rather than as the delivery of products. Um, and you might want to cover, you know, things like the sale of advertising space within your web platform, where you might want to be able to sell 
space to third party. So there's 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 things around the scope of the application which are um, where I think a little bit of help can can be a good idea. Um, and uh, yeah, but in terms of cost, you know, for, for if you're just filing in one class of goods or services, then it's going to be you know uh, of the order of I don't know between um, about six or seven hundred pounds um, from start to finish, including government fees. That would be if you used someone like us to help you. I mean, you can file applications as a company on your own. You can file them yourselves. But I'm just saying that you need to be a bit careful about it's in it's in the business's interest to frame the application in an optimal way so that you're preserving your position in other countries for later or whatever it may be. There's a number of things around that. Um, yeah, but it's not a high cost um, process. If you get into third party issues, it can be more expensive. But obviously, at any given point, you 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 have you have the opportunity to walk away and choose another trademark. On that point, I just make one other comment, which is that it's generally speaking much better to. Um, uh, it's, it, you basically. Um, sorry, I just slightly lost my thread here. This book will have to be edited. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, yeah. So it, essentially, the uh, the cost is quite low overall. And um, uh, and that gets your trademark registration in the UK. Um, beyond that, of course, there's uh, the thing about trademarks is they're jurisdictional by nature, so you're not getting worldwide rights for that. You're getting rights in the UK, and if many of the um, wealth builders' uh, clients are UK focused, that's fine. But obviously, there's the question of uh, the European Union, uh, the US, other countries, and there are various things that you can do to optimize your position in those countries that gets more expensive but of course if the business is successful that's justified and a lot of our clients would be registering at least in the uk the eu and the us um uh, you know uh, and often many more countries for the bigger companies okay so clearly there's a benefit to protecting your trademark so that someone can't steal or copy your brand or your idea are there any other benefits to protecting your ip jonathan yeah, there are. I mean, um, first of all, uh, as I alluded to earlier, um, a trade a, a trademark is a piece of intellectual property. When you get a registered trademark, that is something that can be bought and sold. So it, it's a, it's an asset of the of the company that has a value. When you if you file that trade when you first file a trademark and you haven't really used it, it's an unused mark, but you're this is what you intend to do. So you get your registration in place first, which is the best way to go. Um, then at that point, the inherent value of that registration it, it, you know, may not be hugely high. It's still high in the sense that you've claimed that trademark from that date. And anyone else trying to register the, the same or a similar trademark to yours will find that your one's in the way of it. So you've got an advantage over competitors in, in that sense. Um, but as you then launch your product or service and you use it and you get a reputation, that's when the goodwill grows under that trademark registration. And that's when the value really starts to ramp up. Because remember that a trademark registration is a monopoly right. It gives the owner a monopoly in that trademark, and not just that trademark, but any trademarks which are legally similar, in quotes, to that trademark. And uh, that is potentially very valuable. So that's one, one other advantage. 
another thing is that as vis-a-vis third parties, as your reputation grows under a trademark, actually there are a raft of other rights under that registration which open up to you. There are rights which are granted by the UK Trademarks Act only for trademarks which are registered and which have reputation. For example, if, you have, if you're Pepsi, if you own the Pepsi trademark, you, one of these rights would be to, to enable you to stop third parties from using the same mark, even if their product area is totally different. And that only comes with reputation. It stands to reason you shouldn't have that very wide right unless you have a reputation. But with Pepsi, if you saw Pepsi on a bicycle, you'd assume that there'd been some commercial tie-up with Pepsi as a minimum. And you might be wrong on that. Maybe the bicycle's a terrible bicycle and everyone falls off them and they fall apart. And that then doesn't reflect well on the brand Pepsi. So Pepsi would be interested in that because they can assert themselves across the board. So that's another benefit. And are there any downsides in not taking steps to protect your trademarks? Yeah, I mean, the, the big one, and this is counterintuitive to, uh, to a lot of businesses, but the, the, the trademark law regime in the UK and indeed in the EU is basically that the rights in a trademark, with one or two exceptions, go with the first party to register that trademark, not with the first party to use that trademark. So that means you could use the trademark, but not bother to register it. And in that period, before you've realized you should register it, someone else comes along and registers, let's say, the identical mark. The, the, you, it would be for you to knock them off that position then. It's, I'm not saying it would be impossible to assert your rights, but you'd have to prove that at the time they filed their application, your prior use gave rise to what's called a passing off right, which is a, not a registered right. It's a common law right, but which is a very high evidential burden and horribly expensive to prove. So... You know, in a sense, if you neglect to register a trademark, you open up to third parties getting in with intervening rights, which might then be a block for you. So that's that's one thing. The other thing is it's harder to build value in a brand without a registration, simply because the registration is a tangible asset. Well, not it's actually an intangible asset, but it's it's an asset of the company, um, and it's. And, it, and there is a specific registration there that can be bought and sold. With goodwill, it's a much more nebulous thing. It's, it's harder to define, and it at- often attaches to trademark registrations and becomes tied up in the value of the trademark. And that's an easier way to quantify it and then to uh, effectively leverage that value. Mm. You mentioned due diligence earlier, Jonathan. Now we have a wheel of wealth at Wealth Builders, and that's education, support, connection, due diligence, and uh, action. So due diligence, very important for any asset. Talk about the importance of due diligence when it comes to intellectual property, please. Yeah, it's a very important area, this. And I, I, I hope that this will resonate, given what we've been talking about up to now. As a preliminary thing, I would just stress, and this is sort of due diligence, we'll come on to the other points in a second, but this point about your trademark being distinctive is actually part of the due diligence if you if you think about investing in your business. Because if you choose a trademark that is, number one, easier to register, and number two, easier to enforce than one that is not distinctive, then you are going to make the whole cost around developing that brand less expensive and more and the trademark will be more valuable to you at the end of the day so i think it's really important at the stage when you're creating your brand to actually think about coming up with a trademark that is in fact distinctive 
Okay, so let's assume you've done that and you've got your trademark. You know, you, you, at least you've identified what you want to monopolize with a registration. The next question is, are there any pre-existing trademark rights or indeed other IP rights out there which would give, a, give you a problem, uh, which would in fact be a, an infringement risk if you launched your trademark in the face of that pre-existing mon- monopoly right? And the way to tackle that is by means of doing primarily trademark searches of the relevant trademark registers, which is where all these rights are listed. Uh, there are two, two levels of this. The first is where you check essentially pre-existing identical or near identical trademarks to the one you want. That is, can be done pretty cheaply. Um, for, you know, for several hundred pounds, you can have a good look at anything that is a direct hit or anything that is nearly a direct hit. If any of those types of trademarks come up, then uh, and you're at the and you've only you haven't actually launched your mark yet, then the best thing to do is to choose another trademark at that point, because you don't want to launch a trademark or a brand because you like the trademark, knowing there's a potential issue, and then spend loads of money trying to defend your position. It's much better to go back to the drawing board and think, let's find one that no one else has. So the purpose of an identical search effectively is to prove a negative very cheaply. It doesn't, however, prove the positive. And the reason it doesn't prove the positive, by which I mean that the trademark is secure for you to adopt, is that trademark rights extend to similar trademarks as well as identical ones. So there could be similar pre-existing trademarks, not identical marks, similar ones, that you would miss if you just did a quick identical search. So we call these searches full trademark searches. And that would be where someone like me would conduct that search for you uh, get the best possible data in, and then essentially write a memo or a note of uh, you know of any tangible, significant um, infringement risks that are there, with advice as to whether this is worth trying to get round or whether it's it's a, a fatal risk. Um, those sorts of uh, searches can cost well, they would cost seven or eight hundred pounds upwards. To I mean, I I've had them where they've been as high as fifteen hundred, but the norm would be between. 700 and 900 or 1,000. And that would give you actually quite a high level of comfort around that trademark before you embark on the registration process and before you launch and spend lots of other money on it. So the big lesson really is if you're in business, if you've got something of value, you shouldn't wait around. You should just start now. Absolutely. And the other piece of advice that's really key is if you can, you should try to do your due diligence and get your trademark application filed before you actually launch or soon after you launch. The point is that once you've launched and you're using the trademark, but you haven't filed, you are technically vulnerable to an intervening right getting in the way. But I realize it's not a perfect world and there will be people listening to this who think, well, I've been using my trademark for a while and I haven't registered it. Does that mean I'm in terrible trouble? Well, no, it doesn't necessarily because you will have built up some passing off or common law rights by virtue of your use. So you're not completely without rights. Um, and also you might just be lucky. There may be no intervening rights. It's just that, you know, it gets more complicated if there are. Jonathan, thank you for being our guest on Wealth Talk today. Pleasure. Thank you. Okay. So lesson I picked up on there, Kevin, was certainly if you've got something of value that you shouldn't wait around um, to register that, you should get that done as soon as possible. Yeah. I mean, it's not about being uh, paranoid, but it's just the important thing about, you know, creating value and, and acknowledging it to yourself, really, that you have created something of value. And 
this is a big wealth lesson. And um, I think, Chris, that many people overlook, don't they? The value they've got, you know, the fact they've, they've created something, obviously, you know, things which are extraordinarily valuable, like I think Jonathan talked about patents, you know, they, they would be obvious, wouldn't they? You patented something that's unusual, that's rare, that's a gift. Um, and most of us probably will never have a patent in our life, but 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 some will, and they'll recognise that. They'll immediately want to, to register that because it gives you protection for, you know, I think 20, 25 years, depending on what you're doing. You also talked about designs, if you've got something very specific. Uh, again, that would be creative. You know, that That's very much a specialist domain. But as we create businesses, though, Chris, and we create businesses that beginning to get traction or our idea is well-researched enough to create traction, then it doesn't do any damage at all to begin to register the trademark. So to me, the issue is less about the patent. It's less about the design. Obviously, copyright we have already as authors, you and I, we have our own copyright. But to me, the most powerful lesson in there is trademark. Because I don't know if you picked up the strength of his argument here, Chris, that if you have a trademark, you've got a monopoly. And now monopoly, not the game now, but monopoly excludes everybody else, which means you've got incredible power. And that monopoly isn't time dated. It's forever. And if you think about wealth building as a process that ultimately leads through to legacy and passing things on, then by registering the trademark of whatever your intended business or indeed established business, the more valuable that becomes. And if we think about, you know, the journey that we're on when we engage in wealth is a transformational one. We know this to be true, Chris, don't we, that when people go through the lessons in their businesses, because wealth is a business in the end, as they create the business, more and more and more, they transform. And when they transform, they get better. When they get better, they get stronger and they get more powerful. And that leads to more value. So you don't want to be creating incredible value. And then five years down the line, you go back and say, well, I really should register that mark. And then find that actually somebody else has got there ahead of you. So I think it's important not to knee jerk it, but for a few hundred pounds. So we're not talking about lots. And in many cases, you know, you may want to engage with some help. Uh, but in some cases, like doing a lasting power of attorney, Chris, you know, these are documents that you can do yourself. I mean, Jonathan says, yes, be cautious. But at the beginning, it's something you could do for a few hundred pounds. And then you've protected yourself and given yourself a monopoly. And then if your business does become more valuable, and you do take the lessons of a business that should work commercially without you with recurring income, then if you manage to do that, you're going to have not just the value of the business, but the value of the mark. And the trademark plus the value of the business together can give you a much more powerful outcome. Um, so I would commend anybody to be thinking about doing that. And I think it's important for us, Chris, as we try and help people, we'll probably put together some sort of a guide or checklist, uh, maybe using some of the great lawyers we have in our own community, Chris, to help us as well, uh, to um, to see if we can't just, you know, issue some sort of guidance and, and help people decide what best to do. Absolutely. And, um, of course, we talk about 
drifters and DIYers and, and some people will want to DIY this and that's absolutely fine. I will just say that, you know, do do uh, be careful when you go online. There's many companies which kind of, you know, will will pop up on Google saying they can help you with it. So uh, if you want to go to the official site, do make sure you, you go to the government, trademarks.ipo.gov.uk. That will give you the correct information. You can also search for trademarks there and see if your mark is taken or not. Um, but, but, you know, the uh, one thing Jonathan said, Kevin, is a trademark isn't an intangible asset of the company. It really is that kind of protective wrapper, isn't it, that will um, add value as your company and business grows? Absolutely. I think it's making the point that I just made a few minutes ago, Chris, that you know, lots of assets are intangible, but they become tangible when somebody wants to buy them. So you know, an acquirer is always looking for something of distinction. I mean, if you've got a business you can sell and together with that sale you've got an established monopoly over that trademark then your business is going to have more value so definitely that's something that you should look at and like all things in life you know there are some things you should diy and there's some things if you've got complexity you need to take good guidance on and, and i think that's not for me to say but you'll know the complexity or the simplicity of where you are right now in your business building life and there's no substitute, I think, as Jonathan said, that if you have got a complex business, you have got things that, uh, you know, could cause a problem or you need to register them in different countries uh, because of the very nature of what you're trying to do. I think taking advice is always a good thing because the value of advice is always more than the cost of that advice in the end. So a bit more difficult with this one because it's always looking backwards. But uh, an, an important lesson nonetheless, and I think it was val valuable to share all of those things, particularly for me, that Monopoly point, which I think was outstanding. Indeed. Well, I'll put some links in today's show notes for people that uh, want to follow and, and find out a little bit more. And as always, if you're not already a member of the Wealth Builders Facebook community, then do join us there. You can uh, join by heading to wealthbuilders.co.uk forward slash Facebook. And um, I think that's pretty much it for today's episode, Kevin. So uh, I dare say we will catch up again very soon on the next episode of Wealth Talk. Until next time, Chris. See ya. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget that we are constantly updating our resources inside the Wealth Builders membership site to help you create, build and protect your wealth. Head over to wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership right now for free access. That's wealthbuilders.co.uk slash membership.